Guess what? I'm moving country again. I don't know. Maybe a year. Maybe more. Where's home? Home's everywhere. I'm an expat. Hello, it's Pauline. Welcome to a new episode of Meet the Expats. Today I meet with Stefan, who is founder of the Life You Want Academy, an American who moved to France back in 2013. And from his experience here, ended up building courses to obtain the Grail visa and run businesses abroad. Hi, Stefan. How are you? Hi. Great to have you. I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk about, I'm always happy to talk about France, I suppose. Yeah, well, you've been here 10 years. I guess you have loads, loads to say about France. Sure, sure. <laughs> Maybe um, let's start with a quick intro of yourself and we'll move on to well, how you moved to France and Paris in the first place. Sure. Um, Pauline mentioned I'm, I'm Stephen. I live here in France. The, the French call me Stefan. The Filipinos call me Stephen. <laughs> Uh, you know, the name is pronounced however it is, wherever it is in the world. You've localized I, it. <laughs> right. That, that's the best way to do it, right? Make sure you know the pronunciation where you're going to be. Um, and so I am a writer here in France, although I'm not limited to writing in France. I write all around whenever I travel. Um, I have always been a writer in some capacity, but it's only been in the last, let's say, six, seven years that I've been able to do it full time. In other right. parts of my life, it was just part of my career. So I would write mm. as an aspect of whatever I was doing. And I lived in Paris until March of 2021, which had been a year after the lockdowns. And I think for many, many people can reflect that, you know, lockdowns changed their perspective on things. And for oh, me, yeah. if you'd asked me in March of 2020, so I came back uh, the day that France was officially locking down, I ended a trip early i was in bulgaria and really smart people were telling me steven you have to get back to france like yeah there may not no. be flights get back so I, i ended my trip early and i came back and i landed and they locked down that night mm. and if you told me even at that point steven a year from now you won't be living in paris i would have told you never ever like i'm gonna die in yeah. paris i'm gonna buy a cemetery plot in paris i'm never leaving it's my favorite city <laughs> it's still my favorite city but i left And part of okay. it was, if I'm going to be locked down, I wanted to be locked down by a river next to a forest, mm. uh, out you know in the sunshine. And and I, I'm there now. I'm in a small medieval town, about 45 minutes by train outside Paris. So I'm still in Paris three, four times a week, seeing friends, running errands, right. doing things. But I'm now in a different chapter of my French life. You're part of those Parisians who fled Paris after the pandemic. I, I, I am. I am, definitely. The, the reason I, I came to France in the first place was way back in 2012, I sold a test prep business. So for your listeners who don't know, you, you, you've had someone on recently who talked about preparing for her G, GMAT to, to, yeah. to get the MBA. So that's a standardized test you have to take to get into some American MBA programs, not all of them. Right. Uh, there are other tests you have to take, the GRE, the ACT, the SAT, the LSAT, the MCAT. I ran a company... Um, several companies over the years that specialized in helping people with these tests. Okay. And I sold one of those companies in 2012. Right. And I pondered what I was going to do for the next year. I was still working for the new owner and I was still there uh, in the United States, but I deep down buried under 
all, all of the hustle and work that Americans normally uh, c- content themselves with was this idea of living in Europe. And I, you know, I took it out of my dream closet and I dusted it off a little bit and I had to do research on, well, how would I do that? I'm not an EU citizen. Yeah. I, I, I'm not interested in getting a job. I'm not interested in going to school. I have an MBA. I'm done with school forever. Um, right. I don't want to be an au pair. Uh, I'm too old anyway, right? There's a, a tw- <laughs> there's 20, an age there's an age limit to 28 years. I'm way too old for that. And so, uh, what what can I do? And back in 2012, people will will reflect. There's a lot more information about coming to France now, but I can tell you in 2012 right. there was not. Okay. And so, for me, whatever I was able to piece together, I was like, okay, I'm going to get this visitor visa, and I. In, in homage to the fact that there was no information, I thought, well, I might as well just take photos of everything, upload an article, and help someone okay. else. I don't want someone yeah. else to go through what I went through. So did that, didn't really think about it, was also using that blog to somewhat share my journey with people, but it wasn't taking it very seriously. And then I started getting emails from people, hey, I printed out your article, and I got my visa, and can I buy you a coffee when I come to France? Oh. Like, like, free coffee? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> Let's go no for it. <laughs> and then those emails started becoming, hey, could you help me with this? I, I'll pay you. Like, you're going to pay me? Okay, <laughs> sure. And uh, and then that, that turned into consulting calls, but people were always asking the same questions. And I have right. no problem answering the same questions, but people who are smarter than me said, Stephen, you should just put that into a video Scale course. It. Yeah. <laughs> right. That way you can answer. <laughs> and, and what was nice about that was I was able to just say, here, 98% of what you need is in the course. If you need anything extra, like let me know and we can do a more specialized consult for that. But most right. people are going to have their questions answered. And then Yeah, don't that, be happy with the video. Yeah. And and so that led to this summer I was also able to publish a book with a couple of my uh, co-authors on the website. So it all started with I don't know the answer to something <laughs> to <laughs> to I'm going to share my answers with people to right. it's just been a really fun side project which also ties in with my writing. I'm happening to write for the blog all the time. And now I've recruited other people to fill out my experiences because I haven't ever been a student in France. We've had people writing mm. about the student visa. I haven't ever had a job in France. So I'm having people yeah. write about that experience. I've never uh, you know, married a French person. We've had people <laughs> write about that experience. Um, so the, the blog in general has now gone from a, I'm gonna help someone with this one visa problem that I had a long time ago to, what is the experience of living abroad? And I think over time, I've only come to realize, especially since I normally visit my families in both the United States and Singapore once a year, mm. when there aren't global restrictions on travel, yeah. <laughs> uh, that there is such an enormous, it is an enormous challenge to live outside of your home culture. Oh, it is. And and people should not beat themselves up for for giving up on that. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes people say, oh, you know, I tried it for a year. It didn't work. It was too hard for me. And I said this in a webinar the other day, you are part of the 1% of people who tried something. Dared to do it. Yeah. And, 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 And it didn't work out, but you can say that you've tried. Do you know how many people say, oh, someday I would like to live in France or someday I'd like to go to New Zealand. And then they never do because someday is a very easy thing to say. But Mm. if they took the time to do it, don't chalk it up as a failure, chalk it up as a success. You found out what it was like to live in France. You found out it wasn't for you. It is very, I think, unusual to live for an extended time outside your home culture. It takes a special set of ingredients to do that. 
Yeah, it. I mean, it definitely does. And I think we don't realize how much adapting you have to do and how much change you 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 have to do. What was, first of all, why France in the first place? You said you wanted to live in Europe. How did you like pinpoint or narrow it down to France? It, interesting question. I, I don't. I don't think. I or even my family knew the depths of my attachment to French history, French culture, the French language. But if I look back, you know, once I was able to look back and say, well, where were the where were the hints of this? So when I was 14, I I had a history class project, which was to dress up as somebody from history and then give a speech. Right. Right. And me being the overachieving nerd with an Asian mom. You know, I had to go all the way. I dressed up as Louis the Fourteenth, and I gave the speech. <laughs> However, keep in mind, Louis the Fourteenth doesn't speak English, right? So I think, okay, well, he no. has to deliver it in French. The problem is, I don't speak French at this time. So I then have a friend of mine who does speak French translate the speech into, from English into French, and then at he, four years old at fourteen, at fourteen, fourteen, okay, at fourteen. Still, and that's then, young. And then he coaches me through pronouncing these words, which I oh, wow. some, somewhat understand. And then I get up there and deliver a two and a half minute speech in French <laughs> as Louis XIV. And I remember my history teacher saying, well, that's going to be a hard act to follow. And everyone in class <laughs> is like, you speak French? And, um, and that level of interest in the language and the fact that back when uh, they didn't have, you know, the, the younger kids on the podcast are going to say, what is a cassette? I bought mm-hmm. these. I bought these uh, cassette tapes to learn French when I was, you know, fifteen, sixteen. So I think I'd always had an interest in it, but I, I was part of the generation that didn't really consider international living mm-hmm. as yeah. as, a, a, as an option. And so I just did what most Americans did: is I got to work, I was building businesses, I, I did, you know, I took vacations. But I think France started to crystallize on my first visit back in two thousand ten. And then I came back again in 2012. And we're talking short, short visits. I was, yeah. at that time, I was on the American um, mentality. Yeah, one week holiday. Of, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go two days here, three days here. I'm going to see 57 cities in, yeah. in two days. And so I only spent a total of eight days in France, in Paris, before I moved there. It, it goes okay, against all, all the advice I tell people now. I said, come to France, visit it. Scout where yeah, you stay like a month. Uh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I didn't do that, but I think that's part of my personality is I can make decisions on a short, mm. uh, on a on a little bit of information, on a small quantity of information. Okay. And that was plenty of, for me to say, this is what I want to do. And a lot of people in my life were opposed to it. People who know me and love me. And they said, what, France, what are you talking about? And my sisters were like, you're going to leave your nieces and nephews, you know, mm-hmm. and all of that's valid. And I don't, I, I couldn't counter their objections because I hadn't shown to them over the years that this was my dream. I didn't have a board in my room saying one day I'm going to live in France. It was just that selling a business gave me the mental real estate to ponder what's next. And when I pondered what's next, I thought, well, what is it that I wanted to do that I haven't done? It's like, well, I wanted to live in Europe. And so France appealed to me. There were other places I could have lived. I was in, I lived in Rome as a student. In my, in my sophomore year of college, I would never, ever, ever live in Italy for like 14 other reasons. I love Italy. I just came back from two weeks in, in Italy. I, I love visiting there, but it's a chaotic country to try to live in. Uh, but I, I don't think I ever really considered living any place other than France. So when you say okay. narrow it down, again, that's advice I talk about now that I've lived here. I say, okay, well, let's 
do you want to live in Europe? Okay, well, let's let's talk a little bit about where you want to live in Europe. Hmm. The advice I give now is advice I've had to earn because I never thought about it that way when I yeah. And so what what type of criteria do you have your 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 clients like look at as language, culture, I don't know. Yeah, all of all of those things, but I think the first thing I start with at the top level is where do you see yourself in five or ten years? Is this a question mm. of wanting the right to 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 live in Europe long term, or do you see yourself living here for the rest of your life? And right. not often are people going to say, yes, I'm for certain going to live here for the rest of my life. I would say very rarely. It's mostly mm -hmm. people would like the right to live in Europe long term. And there's a confusion between residency and citizenship there. So a lot of people are like, yeah. I want to get French citizenship, blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, whoa, 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 slow down. Why do you want citizenship? And they'll usually say, well, because I want to be able to stay in France as long as I want. Well, you can get that with residency. Yeah. Right. You don't have to go the, the nuclear option of getting a citizenship. Yeah, is right. is is and um, it's a longer process. <laughs> it's harder. <laughs> right. To, to say nothing of the, the complications of having dual or triple or however many nationalities and the complications that come with that. And so I tell people residency is going to get you most, I would say 98% of what you're looking for with, with citizenship, unless you're extremely politically engaged and you're like, I must vote in elections now. Yeah. Uh, other than that, and I would say COVID hammered this home even more because I was able to come and go freely during, mm -hmm. during COVID as a resident. I wasn't yeah. a citizen. I got bailout. My French business got bailout money from the French government. I'm not a citizen. I'm a taxpaying resident. And yeah. for purposes of Living in France, a taxpaying resident is 98% citizenship. Mm -hmm. And that's easy for me to say because I have the privilege of having a US passport, right? Which is a class A passport. A European Union passport only offers me visa free access to a few more countries. I completely yeah. understand if someone coming from Brazil or South Africa yeah, or Colombia is going to say, well, Stephen, I want that EU passport. Totally understand that. I don't need it though. Yeah. So that's less of a priority for me. And so that's what I want to hammer home to Americans who are saying, oh, I need to get citizenship yesterday. It's like, mm, I'm only putting in my paperwork for citizenship now, and I've been eligible for five years. And when I talk okay. to people about it, it's always like, yeah, the, the, the paperwork list, I can reach behind here if, if people were able to see on, on camera. I've got my citizenship, uh, I've got my birth certificate here, which has to get apostilled, which then has yeah. to get translated into French. So a lot of times it's just a hassle. It's not a question yeah. of, oh, I'm lazy. It's just there's so much to do. There's a lot of paperwork and extra certifications and stuff. Right. And once people have the comfort of being a resident here, it's not so much of a rush or a priority like, oh, I have to get citizenship or I'm going to get booted. It's just it's it's an irrational fear, which is understandable when you've never lived abroad. Totally yeah. get it. But so what clicked for you to say, well, I'm going to go through citizenship? <sighs> okay, well, that's a more complicated and more personal question. But I would say part of it was years ago, and this has evolved for me over time, I wanted the I wanted the ability to renounce US citizenship. Oh, okay. Uh, for a number of reasons. Okay? okay. I'm not yeah. I'm not ashamed of being an American. I am who I am. Uh, I was born in I was born in Singapore to an American father. I moved to America when I was nine. That is who I am. Listen to this accent. Mm. I am an American, right? <laughs> um, however, there are other things going on with the way that my country makes decisions that makes it hard for me to be associated with it politically. Politically, I can't say that I'm not culturally associated mm. with it or isn't part of who I am as a person. 
Uh, and so renunciation, not only for that reason, philosophically, but for economic reasons, those of you who don't know, the United States is the most, is one of the most thieving regimes when it comes to your income, which, which is laughable considering the America was ostensibly founded on a tax revolt. Oh, we were so, we were so sad that the British were taxing us. So we left, except now we're one of the only countries in the world that taxes their this citizens wherever they abroad. live. <laughs> right. And so there no, was, I this, think it's, Eritrea also I learned two days ago does <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. Which which you people, you know, ask an American where Eritrea is and they you know they're not they're yeah. not gonna know. Um but I'm not certain now that I'm going to renounce. But I mm. I, I do feel You're getting the option just in case and like that was the primary reason in the past. If you were going to ask me in the past, I was going to say yes. That uh, you know, after I do that, like three days later, I'm going to go renounce. And since that time, many many things have shifted, and and it's a, it's a complex it's a complex issue. I, I would even argue philosophically, I find dual nationality problematic. Uh, what happens when those countries go to war? If yeah. they go to war, which now, side are you on? Yeah. Interestingly enough, as much as Americans you know, have a love-hate relationship with the French, we've never been at war with the French. Mm, no. The British have come and burned the White House to the ground, but we have a special relationship with them, right? But the French are cheese-eating surrender monkeys, right? <laughs> but we've never been at war with the French. The French were the people we signed the first, our first treaty with as a nation, and without their help, there is no way we would have won the Revolutionary War against the British. Now, it ended up costing the French the, their monarchy, because mm. of the debt that was incurred by Louis the Sixteenth in this cause, but that's a different story, different time. Oh, this is all to say this excitement and I would say trendiness about getting lots of passports lately. I don't quite understand it because people seem to look at it as a purely economic question. They'll talk mm. about having a passport yeah. passport portfolio like it's a stock, and people seem to yeah. forget like this means that you identify as someone who From could potentially country. die for that country yeah. and what you, what you're going to die for six countries, including, <laughs> including a Caribbean Island, which you've never visited. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't quite understand it, but I understand that it's cool and people like trends, but realistically you're making your life more complicated, not less complicated by getting a bunch of passports in my opinion. All right. Interesting take. Let's come back a little bit, uh, rewind. Um, you mentioned right at the start that, well, moving, like changing country, moving your life is not as easy and it's not, we all know, it's not as shiny as you think. And I'd like to come down to what challenges you faced when, when you moved after just knowing the country for a week. Well, I would say let's start with language. That, <laughs> as an English speaker, there are simply words in the French language that your English brain is going to tell you sound stupid. Mm. So the classic example I always give is the number one. The number one in French is spelled U-N. An English speaker looks down and goes, oh, un, un? No, it's un. Un. That's how you say one in French. Now, your English brain is goes, what, did you just make a noise? What did, mm. what did you just say? That's not a word. Okay. Uh, and so... You can, I, I call it the difference between learning, learning French and studying French, right? I, I studied with a tutor for a year before coming. Okay. We met once a week and we would work through things, but I would always struggle a bit with pronunciation. It wasn't her fault. 
it was part of not being in an immersive environment. Yeah. You come here and all of a sudden you make leaps and bounds so far beyond what you were doing in that first year. So studying French is one thing, but you're going to learn when you come here. Yeah, definitely. That, that doesn't mean that's going to make you unafraid. So mm -hmm. I would say the next big jump is when you go from being afraid to speak to being unafraid to speak. And this is right. something I really admire about Bradley Cooper. If you've ever seen him, he's he does interviews in French when he yeah his, his French country. is very good yeah and he, he just said, goes for it. He he said he just goes. He doesn't mind if he makes mistakes. He doesn't mm -hmm. care. And you're thinking this guy's a big celebrity. He doesn't care about his image. And he's he's just going for it. And I, I would tell people all the time, be, particularly for English speakers with this pronunciation, we're always worried we're going to screw up in front of the French, especially with. When you screw up on a French word, unlike English, which there are so many people in the world who speak English in their own accent that English speakers don't realize, we can piece together a sentence. Yeah, the what it and the meaning. Like, what are you saying? Oh, okay, uh, you want to go to the store? Okay, I got it. Here, do this. If you, if you give a sentence out of order to a French person or you pronounce a word even slightly, they're just going to crinkle their eyebrows and stare at your lips. And, and you think, what did I say? What did I say? And then you, you, mm. you try it again and it's worse. And, yeah. um, and so it's okay. Just work through that discomfort because immediately what we want to do is we want to switch back to, to, to something that, that can be understood. That you know, yeah. And part of that is simply an ego thing. We are used to being adults. We want to be respected for our intelligence and our thoughtfulness. And now I'm seven years old again, trying yeah. to speak, trying to speak a language. And you just have to say, I am seven years old. But at some point, I'm going to be eight years old and I'm going to be nine years old. And I can't get to be eight years old or nine years old if I don't try to be seven right now, instead mm. of reverting back to being a 37, whatever English speaker. And so I crossed that line from afraid to unafraid when I went to a school for a month in the French mountains called Alpine French School. Uh, shout out for Alpine French School. <laughs> you can ski and go to school. Right. That so <laughs> you, you can go skiing in the morning, go to class in the afternoon or go go to class in the morning and go skiing in the afternoon, however yeah. you want. It turns out the unexpected side effect, which should be obvious to anybody now, is my skiing got really good, too. <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> which is a good thing. <laughs> when, when you're skiing every day, that kind of tends to happen. But my French went from I'm afraid to speak to I'm no longer afraid, even though okay. I don't have all of the tenses. I don't have all of that. And so once you get through that barrier, a lot of other doors will open for you in France, whether that's socializing, mm -hmm. dating, having friends, talking with your cheese lady. You know, she's going to yeah. say, like, did you, how'd you like the cheese? Did you use it in this recipe? Same thing with your butcher, fishmonger. My dry cleaning lady and I, like, we have 20-minute conversations now after I'm dropping off, like, two shirts. And so <laughs> part of that is this is a country that speaks French. Paris will insulate you from that. If you come to Paris, you think you can get away with not speaking French. And frankly, it's true more and more. You can for a while, um, but like you will stay in the international circle. Sure. But if you leave yeah. Paris and you go out outside in the rest of France, there's not a lot of That's English over. speakers. No. And yeah. so if you want to enter in that way, and that makes the conversation different for people who want to, you, you were saying, you know, what do I ask people originally? Like, how do you feel about French? And some people, frankly, they romanticize France. France is the sort of oh, really? play, playground theme park for them. So they'd like to experience France, but they're not necessarily interested in, or they have limiting beliefs about their ability to learn language. And so like, oh, I can't really learn language. I think I just want to live down in the South. Fine. You know, I'm not here to mm. tell you how to live your life. 
I'm simply trying to tell you what will make it easier for you to adapt. Yeah. And the number one way in is the language. Yeah, setting expectations to what may or may not happen. The other thing that people will often ask about, but I seem to see it replicated all throughout the world, which is, is it hard to make friends with blank people, right? And you can mm. put in Thai, Swiss, yeah, French, Brazilian. And I feel like this is just, you can go into any hostel and sit down with someone and just throw this out there and you're going to get all of these different answers. And I think what people have to realize is, especially I think coming from the American perspective where we're, if you see Americans in airports, they hear an accent, they go over and say, hey, where are you from? Oh, hi, buddy. Yeah. Like, I've got a French. We're going to chat straight away. <laughs> and French, pe French people, when they hear someone speaking French, they go the other direction. <laughs> right? They're like, oh, no, it's a yeah. French person. And so we have to realize our cultural idiom is it's easy to make friends, quote unquote, right away. And then we'll see where things go. And they don't realize in a lot of other cultures, it's the other way. It takes a long time. Potentially, yeah. it could be a year, year and a half, if you can hang in that long. I was chatting with some friends in Portugal the other day, and they said, it'll take you forever with Portuguese people. But when you're once you're in, you're in. I've heard you're that about the forever. French. Yeah. I've heard that about the uh, about the Danes. Once you're in, you're in. You have to realize they're used to that idea. <laughs> Americans <laughs> are not. So they may not have the patience to deal with it. They expect yeah. people to be able to connect right away. That is a reasonable expectation in the United States. That is not a reasonable expectation. I would say not just in France, but in a in lot many, of Europe, in many in many parts of the world. I, I've heard yeah. this about Thais. I've heard this about other okay. people as well. That you have to realize you're an unusual object. They they were born here. They lived here. They went to school here, and then you come in from outer space, and they think, well, do I have room for this outer space object in my life? Well, maybe mm. if they're into outer space objects. But if not, if they have a full and complete life that doesn't need any foreigners in it, well, that's part of why you can't make friends with them. That's not a strike against them. It's not a strike against the culture. It's not a strike against you. So I'm always puzzled when I see these articles, the continuing theme. Mm -hmm. Is it hard to make friends with so-and-so? It's like, yeah, you're not from their culture. So it is going to be hard, but that's okay. Yeah. That's part of the deal. So I would... I would say uh, entering the language and then being patient with how you develop relationships, not just relationships. Pro pro professional. Uh, on the professional side, this is something fascinating as well. In America, we're very quick to hire and fire people. I could meet mm. someone at a networking event. I was like, oh, you do graphic yeah. design? I have a brochure that needs to be done. And then two days later, I've hired them. They've done the brochure. I paid them, et cetera. It's over. But here, I remembered early on when I started doing some work with French companies, I had a coffee and then I would sit back and say, hey, I loved everything we talked about in our meeting. Would love to get started. And I go, like, oh, no, no, we're going to have another coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then, build trust, build a relationship. Then right. we'll see. <laughs> like three, three, and this goes back to the once you're in, you're in. So three or four copies later, okay, Stephen, we'd like to do this two-year-long mm -hmm. engagement, blah, blah, blah. And you're thinking, wow, this is crazy. So part of that is it takes a while to hire you because they don't plan on firing you. In America, yeah. we can hire you right away because we can fire you at any time. Like, oh, we yeah. didn't, I didn't like that brochure. You're fired. And that's just part. Of, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that the it's French just a way, different approach. The French way is better. But it, it, once you realize that it percolates into every aspect of their lives, it isn't just how they make personal friendships. It's how they do business. It's how yeah, I think it's always investing for the long term. Um, so you just want it, want it to be right. And so you're not going in the wrong direction. For sure. 
For sure. Same even, I would argue with meals. This is something very unusual for Americans. We're very efficient with our meals. I'm going to sit down, we're going to eat, and then we're going to go because we've got something else to do apparently, like watch Netflix. But the French are going to sit there and they're going to enjoy. And this really came home to me, I think, I was my fourth or fifth month in Paris and I was at a friend's house. It was a Tuesday and I went over for drinks starting at six and at midnight I left their house. Yeah. After like however many courses of food, dessert, coffee, digestif. And this was Tuesday. It was not a, people would say like you were six hours at their house on a weekday and a French person would shrug and say, yeah, what's the big deal? And for an American, that would have to have been a holiday. They're a close relation. I haven't seen them for years. And that's simply a regular way of life. And I really admire that. I will say that I think there's an example of, I wouldn't say it's good or it's, it's not better or worse. I do think it is better. I do think it is better to value spending time with people rather than rush from one thing to another. I think Americans, we can be very frenetic in this way. And this is why we're stressed out. This is why we have high rates of depression and other problems is because we're, we don't know why we're rushing so much, but we're in a rush. Hmm. The French are not in a rush. <laughs> No, <laughs> we'll take our time. <laughs> we should be sometimes, but we'll tend to take our time. <laughs> okay, so yeah, quite a few insights on the language, the relationships, the work, and yeah, just this t- piece about taking taking one's time. And it's funny, that's come out a few times in episodes of um, Americans talking about France, is this thing about just enjoying life. And I feel like it's, I'm going to quote Emily in Paris, but I think it is, a phrase that comes out of like you learn how to just live life and take your time here <laughs> mm, for sure for sure so you've been here for quite a while I'm curious to get your recommendations what are like I feel like well, you've had time to explore <laughs> I have well you know what else is funny is that a, a, a French person may have been to a place in the United States I've never been to but I'm just as likely to have been in a place in France that they've never been to. Oh, of course. Uh, I mean, very often um, people have sent me recommendations in Paris in these episodes that I had no clue about. Right. Like jazz bar. I still haven't been. I have to go to them, actually. <laughs> um, but note, note to self. Yeah. So I think, can I start with just some general really fun city recommendations that I think are underrated. So I would start with Amiens, which I went to for the first time earlier this year. No one told me Amiens is awesome. It's like a little Venice with these canals. It's got this gorgeous cathedral. This, these canals, they're, they're part of something called the Otayange. And they've Mm. got these flat bottom boats that, that historically go through. And you've seen this really great bird life and wonderful homes and, yeah, and it's a really great bike city as well. So Amiens, um, Dijon, uh, no one ever talks about Dijon. It's just this really <laughs> Just great... for mustard. <laughs> right, right. It's like, oh, yeah, the mustard place. Yes, the yeah. mustard place. And then uh, I had a friend who moved to Annecy, and I went there to take, oh, a, that's take a test. It's just absolutely gorgeous. That one I it's don't feel is underrated. Everyone knows. No. If I say Annecy to a French person, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone knows. The, yeah. the last one I also went to earlier this year is Marseille. Now, if uh. I say Marseille to a French person, they're going to, they're going to like do the crinkle that I brought. Like, Stephen, uh, do you have uh, friends there? Why, uh, why you go to Marseille? And, um, cause tell, it's like telling an American, you're going to go to Detroit. 
right? <laughs> why are you going to Detroit? Marseille has a very okay, bad that's parallel. <laughs> very, Marseille is a very bad PR problem in mm. France with the French. It does. But I would argue everyone I talked to hadn't been there in recently. So they'd been there 20 oh, okay. years ago. They'd been there 10 years ago. Just like people, they'll say like, you know, Paris is really dirty and they've been there like 20 years ago before mm. all the little green trucks started showing up. And so I, I don't take responsibility for Marseille's reputation in the past, but I would argue it's undeserved now. I was there mm. in May for a week, clean. I didn't, I didn't feel threatened walking around at night People were really friendly. Food was wonderful. And there's this wonderful national Food park. Food is very great. Yeah. There's a wonderful national park next door called Le Calanque, mm-hmm. which I showed pictures to my French friends and they're like, Thailand? <laughs> I'm like, no, next to Marseille. Closer. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's, a really, it's really important, I think, for people to dig into France and see. I mean, I'm on the record saying, I think France is a perfect country. Absolutely perfect. Uh, in in many many ways, there are no countries that have all the advantages that France have. Just geographically speaking, you have a a warm water ocean, you have a a cold water ocean, you have Spanish speaking mountains, you have mm. Italian speaking mountains, you've got cheese, you've got Roman ruins, you've got all this really great stuff. And Paris, I think, gets a lot of the oxygen in the room. And I'm a Paris person. I I get it. I love it. But I really encourage people before you settle on Paris, please take a look around. You're going to, you're going to save a lot of different atmospheres, right? You're going to save a lot of money, first of all, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but secondly, you're going to see a part of France that even French people don't know about. Uh, And I think that's really special. So once you have seen some of that, then coming into Paris, there's a few, few places that are really special to me. One is uh, the promenade planté, you know, that, that inspired the High Line in New York City. So people don't realize New York City didn't come up with that idea. Paris came up with the idea first. And then people in New York City was like, oh, that's a great idea. We should do that too. So having and reusing unused infrastructure as a park is something. I love urban design. This is part of why I love Paris. It's so well designed. And there are innovative things being done like that. And so... That's a, a, a favorite retreat of mine. If I have friends in town, I always try to make sure we get over there and take a walk. Not far from there is a cafe called Café Pur, which was okay. featured in Before Sunset. You know that trilogy of movies with Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke was Before Sunrise, Before uh, Sunset, yeah. Before Midnight. This right. cafe was featured in Before Sunset and obviously in the Paris section, the whole film is shot in Paris. But to me, it is a... It is exactly how it was shot in the movie. It's a typical French cafe, just tucked away, mm. uh, not pretentious, but featuring everything from your coffee to your drinks to your food. And okay. in this warm, wooden environment. I, I, I love that. But it's in, you know, Café Pure is in the 11th, which is the bobo hip, you know, happening <laughs> part of Paris. So yes, yeah. sorry, you know, check mark there. Not not far from there is a favorite restaurant, which I will confess goes back to my roots, Southeast Asian roots called The Hood. Okay. And The Hood is owned by a Singaporean, former investment banker, and co-owned by winner of MasterChef 2012 in France. Um, and she's Vietnamese. And so what you're seeing is Southeast Asian cuisine using French ingredients and French cooking yeah. techniques. And so it's... 
it's familiar, but it's also different. Yeah, and, it's still new. Right. So I go there for a lot of comfort. But what was interesting was originally the restaurant was crowdfunded. So people put together some pledges and started, mm-hmm. I think, a small hole-in-the-wall restaurant and it's developed into what it is now. So the Hood, Cafe Pure. I know you'd mentioned you wanted a... A, a carte of, blanche. A, a carte blanche. I would say the covered passages, I think, to me, are oh, something special, yeah. special, special about Paris and are just fun to walk around. It's not something most people... They exist in other... Brussels, Milan. They, yeah. they have some wonderful have covered few. passages. But I, I think those are more glamorous. I think that the Paris covered passages uh, tend to be less glamorous and more yeah. maybe romantic is the word, or maybe just homey. I re- I, I, I'd say homey, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's more of that intimist, um, like store and small, small passage. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Uh, and expat song. So this goes back to the Midnight in Paris film with Woody Allen. Right. It starts with a montage with Sidney Bichet um, playing "Si tu tu vois ma mère," which okay. is this. I, I, you know, one of my friends. She recently moved back to the U.S. for family reasons, but she said mm. she she recently saw that and she started crying <laughs> because it made her it made her miss Paris so much. And it's funny. I never saw that movie until I moved to Paris, and I'd lived in right. Paris for years. And I watched this montage and I thought, if I didn't love Paris, I would fall in love with it from watching with this the movie. montage. Yeah. <laughs> that that three-minute montage with this Sidney Bichet playing in the background, I think could get people to really fall in love with the city mm. just, just from these images. And uh, so that's my, my recommended dreamy Paris tune to, to get people in <laughs> nice. the mood for in the mood. For yeah, but I, I like that you talk about different cities also because I feel like, yeah, we all talk about Paris, but we don't realize what's outside. And you mentioned smaller cities that are quite under underrated for when they do have a lot of culture. They have a huge history and lovely architecture and good food scene also, and we don't sort of disregard them. Right, and I think that the French, frankly, have started to come around because of télétravailler. So people yeah. have now had remote work. All the all the Bretons who had come to Paris for work have fled back out. They're, to, they're, they're back, back to Brittany, <laughs> and they're like, "Yes, life is awesome. I'm back having the butter of my life." And <laughs> and there are cities now which are not underrated. Everyone knows about them. For mm. example, Nantes or Lyon or Bordeaux, but now people just have normalized moving back there. Yeah. And so that's the reason I mentioned those other cities, because I think people know about Lyon. Lyon's awesome. Mm. And it it's the gastronomical capital of France, you know, to everyone's surprise who thinks that Paris <laughs> is. That's uh, you you have all of these other great treasures in France. You could spend a whole lifetime and, and not find them all. Discovering. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, great. Thank you so much for uh, all these insights and these tips and people just make sure you know the difference between residency and citizenship. There are other options, right. um, but you can definitely offer uh, offer more advice through your courses. Mm-hmm, 100%. And I can give a link to everyone in the episode notes, possibly. And if you came through this podcast, all you have to do is mention it when signing up and I will throw in an extra 15 minute personal consult to go through additional questions you might have 
same thing for the book that I recently wrote that I mentioned. It's called 29 Days to France. We'll put a link to that as well. It'll link in the comments. Yeah. Like I said, I'll throw in a, a consult there too to fill out any gaps. Great. And so the courses are on the Life You Want Academy. Right. Yeah. So you can find that at the Life You Want.io. The book is at theamericaninparis.com. And you'll, you can find a lot of the other, other articles, lots of free knowledge, 10 years worth of learning about France <laughs> from, from an American perspective or on that website. So feel free to pillage that for all the free, free knowledge that we're sharing there. Fantastic. We'll link it all. Guys, if you enjoyed the episode, uh, please go put a couple of stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also leave comments and contact us on Instagram or by email. Always happy to get your feedback and have a chat. Thanks. Thanks so much.